0: Thank you, everybody who joined us here today and those who are online. It means a lot to us. Every weekend is feels feels like we're we're preparing for a big game. It feels like we're preparing for a Miracle Sunday because the people that come into this place uh, really do mean a lot to us. Whether this is your first time here or your 100th time here, uh, every day is a new day, a new grace, amen, to, to worship him and to get a little bit better and to draw near to him as he draws near to us, and my prayer is that that would be our testimony here this morning as we now look to God's word for, for a word from him that we can eat from today. Because we, we, we believe this here at Walk Church, that man doesn't live off bread alone, physical bread, but, but by every word that comes from God. So we love the word of God today, and we're going to eat from it here this morning. Uh, this morning, we, we are starting a brand new series here at Walk Church that is really titled The Book Name. It's called, say it, it's behind me, Galatians, Galatians, Galatians. Galatians. We're in the book of Galatians, and uh, for some of you, you got really excited, and for some of you, you just got really comfortable, like, all right, because you know, when we approach a book in the Bible, we tend to walk a little bit slower than faster. In fact, we finished the book of Ephesians not too long ago, and we spent 75 sermons in the book of Ephesians, six chapters Uh, But we walked through it verse by verse, and even sometimes word by word, because we believe every word of God proves to be true and is good for us. Before Ephesians, we walked through the book of Philippians and spent a few years doing that. We spent a couple years on the book of Nehemiah. We love the books of the Bible, and we love not just reading these books, but how these books read us, right? Uh, Along the journey of walking through passages in the Bible, we we find that the Lord always has an on-time word. For us. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was nudging us to jump back into a book, this time in the New Testament, where we would walk through it verse by verse and allow the scriptures to unfold before us and us see the beauty of Christ through his word in such a way that would lead us to worship him and live our lives in a way that glorifies him. And so this morning we open up to the book of Galatians. This would be the first installment, the first sermon in our series through the great book of Galatians. And come on, you made it, amen? You made it for week, one, week number one. You could be like, when we get to the f- finish line of this book, which may be a long time from now, you could be like, I was there when we started this book. And God has moved uh, through it, is our, is our prayer. So if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Let's eat. Heavenly Father, we, we are ready to eat from your word. So Lord, would you speak to us here today? Not just speak to us, God. Would you teach us your word? Unfold your word to us. God, in some supernatural way, would you help us to see Jesus clearer through your word? God, we know that every text is is pointing to the sun. And God, we need help. We We need spiritual goggles today from above to look at your word and get something from it. Transform us today. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, Amen, We're looking at the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter one, and we're going to just journey through the first five verses of this chapter and I believe there's going to be something within the five verses that speaks directly uh, to you. Galatians chapter one. and whenever we open up a new book, we just want to do some some quick treatment to the to the history of the book and where the book came from. It didn't just pop out of nowhere. It has a specific setting, and author and date and background and and geography. And where is Galatia? Let me just go ahead and put a map up on the screen for just a moment so you can see that Galatia is actually a a real city, a real place that had a real church that the Apostle Paul planted. In fact, there were several churches in the context of Galatia. And you can see right here in the yellow, you can see some of the different cities that Paul, the Apostle, would plant churches in that now have letters recorded for us in the New Testament. So Paul was radically transformed in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 9 specifically. He is transformed and given this calling. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and he kind of started his journey over here a little bit more, and then he began to move in this direction for the purpose of kingdom expansion, disciple-making, and church planting Colossae, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, and Greece, and Philippi. And up here in this Asia Minor area is the city of Galatia. So Paul made his way to the Galatians, and he went into this pagan city, and he began to engage the city with the gospel. He began to build bridges, not put up walls, amen? And these bridges led to real conversations with real people, which led to the real gospel, saving people in very real, tangible ways. And then churches were were birthed, and we still do that today, amen? We still go into cities like Las Vegas with the beautiful gospel, and engage our city in such a way that we would see churches like walk church birth, and that people could come and find freedom and a home. That's what happened in Galatia. And so now Paul, on his missionary journey, is writing a letter to the churches that he planted in the context of Galatia. Let me put just some thoughts up on the screen when it comes to the book of Galatia. The author of this book is Paul, an apostle, um, you find that actually in verse number one. Paul, an apostle, he starts his letter with this greeting. What's interesting about this time frame is a little bit different than our context, right? So often when we write a letter, we address the person we're writing to first, right? We say, we say, dear Pastor Mike, and then we sign it at the end. In this context, they would sign it up front. They let you know, hey, this is who's writing to you. And they would send their greeting up front, grace and peace to you, this is Paul, the apostle and the people he was with, he starts out by saying, I'm the the author of this letter. Not only that, he says who he's writing to. He says, Paul, an apostle to the churches in Galatia. So you can understand just right off the bat who the audience is. And isn't it so neat that we can take take a front row seat into this letter that it was recorded for us and for our good as well? Now, the date scholars debate around, was it around 50 AD-ish or was it a little bit before or a little bit after sometimes it's hard to understand exactly where and when the the letters were composed but many believe that this letter was written by the apostle Paul right around 20 years after Jesus ascended into heaven and so here's Paul writing this letter to the church in Galatia not too far removed from the actual physical real king Jesus who walked on earth who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death we deserved, who rose from the grave triumphantly and ascended into heaven. Now, Paul is writing to the Galatians about how to live it out. Now, every book in the Bible has some type of main idea. And today I want to talk about the main idea of the book of Galatians on the outset of this sermon series. The main idea of this book is this. The gospel sets sinners free, and Christ is enough. Not a single amen. Wow. Jeez, I need to do a better job of compelling you to this reality. Let me, I'm going to try, try it again. Here we go. <laughs> Let me give you the main idea of the Bible, all right? Let me give you the main idea of the book of Galatians. Here's the main idea that Paul is, is working really hard to communicate to the Galatians. He wants the Galatians and the Las Vegans. I didn't say the Las Vegans. <laughs> Shout out to the Vegans. I'm not going to get into it. Here's the main idea. The gospel sets sinners free. Amen. Wow. And let me go ahead in part two. And Christ is enough. Amen. Here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so important. Because the, the apostle Paul was saved by the grace of Jesus. He was saved by the blood and grace and mercy and gift Jesus. It wasn't anything that Paul earned because, in fact, pre-Christ, BC days, before Christ, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was was wicked and evil in a lot of his ways. According to the law, right, he was living according to the law, but according to faith in Christ, he was absent. In fact, he was persecuting those who called themselves followers of Jesus. He had a strong hatred for that. So it wasn't anything that Paul contributed to his salvation. It was grace, And so what's the message that Paul would preach? He would preach a message of grace. He would go to cities and he would say, look, you guys are working really hard to try to get God's favor. You don't got to work hard anymore. He already did the work for you. In fact, you can have a loving, real, abiding relationship with God by faith. You could put your faith in Jesus today and you wouldn't have to have the sweat of your brow to earn it. In fact, Jesus has the blood on his brow that that already bought you with a price. It cost him everything. But he did that because he loves you. Now receive that. So that was the message that Paul preached. That was the gospel that Paul preached, right? Now, Paul, along his journey, he was kind of an apostolic leader. In other words, he would go and he would start more churches. He would raise up pastors and elders and leaders and teachers. And then he would go off to another city like we just showed. Along this journey, there was a group of people called the Judaizers, The Judaizers crept into Galatia, kind of started to attend the Galatian services a little bit, and started quarreling and whispering like, you know, it's a good message. I believe Jesus died for sins. I believe he rose from the grave. But, you know, you got to do your part too. You got to earn a little bit of that. You got to work a little bit. In fact, not only that, let me see your, uh, this almost made a weird statement. Almost said, let me see your circumcision card. Uh, That's a little bit weird. Sorry about that. In other words, they wanted to make sure that the Galatians were putting themselves under the same laws that Jewish people had also submitted to. So the Judaizers would say, yeah, yeah, you can believe in Jesus. Just make sure you're living like a Jewish person as well. So submit yourself to the law while you worship Jesus. The Apostle Paul hears of this information. Was he in prison Some debate on where exactly Paul was when he wrote the book of Galatians. But Paul heard about this, and he got upset. And he said, I'm astonished that you are now listening to a different gospel than the one that was preached to you. He said, you guys forgot about the main idea. What's the main idea? Jesus in the gospel sets sinners free, and Christ is enough. So so the Judaizers said, hey, you know what? Christ is almost enough it's it's you got to add a little bit of you too and isn't that the pride that's in all of us yeah. Yeah. we gotta we gotta have our part the the sinful nature in us come on is anybody else just a really good justifier you, you, you're always the star of every story you always yeah actually I I did that once sir I, let me tell you what I, I you know you, you, you see this, the, 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 the photo, and who do you want to look at? You want to look at you in the photo, right? I got to add my part to Jesus's story. I make it great, or I got to earn it, or I'm I'm like Adam and Eve who fell into sin, and then they, they run and hide, and they want to make up for it. They want to cover it, but only God can cover it. Amen, and, and, and we're like that, and the Judaizers were like that, and so the main idea is that Jesus is for your freedom. It's not Hey, you could be free. You just, you gotta do your part. You gotta, you gotta pay your amount. Every Mormon will tell you that. You can be, believe in Jesus as long as you muster up enough stuff yourself. It's an anti gospel. Every, every, we, still, we still wrestle with this today. In Catholicism or Islam, we're going to talk about different things in world religion that, that, that still we battle with in this context of faith. Can we just keep the gospel pure yeah. on, in how Paul preached it? Uh, I, I want to just continue to, to lean into the main idea. The gospel sets sinners free and Christ is enough. It's not, it's not you need a little bit more of you. To get to the fullness of the gospel that that is not it so so let me give you some galatians math title of my sermon galatians math put it up here on the screen jesus plus nothing equals enough that's the title of the message today if you got nothing else you got this if you if you're like i hope you don't do this but you were like sign it good i got my notes i'm out (laughs) i hope you don't leave yet but if you got that you got the main idea of the book Jesus plus nothing equals enough. And and brothers and sisters, me like you will amen that, but it's hard to remember that on Monday. It's hard to remember that when you fall into sin and you really got to believe in the grace of God is good. It tastes good, amen? It's fresh for your soul. Don't turn to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. This is the main idea of the book. So let's go ahead and read the first five verses. If you're ready, say ready. Here we go. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful introduction to this book. Many scholars believe that Paul does not waste much time. In fact, out of all the introductions of Paul's letters, they say this is the most fiery introduction. Paul gets right to it. Usually he has a lot more mushy-gushy stuff to add up front. But here he just goes right in, into verse one, and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, Paul, right out the gate, is wanting you to know his background. Um, I want in to, in the remainder of this sermon, what I want to do is, I want to be a little bit educational, informational, and I uh, hopefully inspirational by the power of the Holy Spirit. So so some of this may feel kind of like a big Bible study, and others times maybe it feels like uh, a a preaching moment that my prayers would would stir you to to love and good works here today. But what I want you to know is four questions that I find in this introduction that I think could help you grasp and understand um, the text. Let me put question one up on the screen. Question one up on the screen. When we think about this letter to the Galatians, number one, where does Paul's credibility and authority come from? That became the question amongst the Galatians. So the Judaizers come in. There's all types of different sects and different tribes and different religions. And even some people that still believed in the Jewish faith uh, holistically um, would potentially come into the Galatian context and just say, hey, well, who is Paul? What makes Paul a credible source to preach this gospel to you. And so Paul is hearing all the chatter and the feedback about questioning his calling. And so where does Paul's credibility and authority uh, come from? Let's look at verse one one more more time. It says, uh, Paul an apostle. It's important to know that Paul carries the title of apostleship. And when it comes to apostle, it's one of those big biblical, specifically New Testament words that I think sometimes can be misinterpreted. Really, when it comes to the word apostle, there's two definitions. I'll give you the two up here on the screen. Apostolos, this noun, it means number one, this person had a direct encounter with Jesus. Number two, this person was a messenger who was sent on mission. What is a New Testament biblical apostle? Well, the first definition is somebody who had a direct encounter with Christ. Maybe you've heard the 12 apostles before, right? These 12 disciples of Jesus were able to carry the title of apostle because not only did they follow Jesus, but they had a one-on-one real tangible encounter with Christ. Now the apostle Paul is interesting because you can't find him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Paul comes later in the book of Acts, And not only does he come later in the book of Acts, but at that time, he's not following Jesus. Before you get Paul the apostle, right, you get Saul the terrorist, which should encourage everybody in the room today. There's hope for you, right? If Saul can become Paul, you can become anything. Saul is going through cities, looking and sniffing out who's a believer in Jesus, because I'm going to get you put to death. He was was very influential, very educated, and was scary in a lot of ways. Until in Acts chapter 9, Jesus reveals himself to Paul through a bright light. Anybody ever heard this phrase before? You got knocked off your high horse? (laughs) That actually comes from the Apostle Paul's story. Now, we don't know if Paul was on a horse or not. It just says he fell down. But it's this idea, Saul's need to become Paul's. Paul gets knocked down, bright light shone, voice from heaven speaks, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is that you, Lord? Saul, not knowing what's even going on, declares the Lord might be speaking to him, and the voice says, it's me, Jesus Christ, the Lord, whom you are persecuting. And I think Jesus in that moment, he does a couple of things. One, he reveals his deity to Paul. And also he reveals his love for the church. Amen. Because when did Paul ever touch Jesus? Never. But if you touch the church, you touch Jesus. Right? So, so, so even Jesus right there says, you're persecuting me. And Saul goes, I never even touched you, Jesus. He goes, yeah, but you touch my bride. You touch my body. When you persecute the church, you persecute the Christ. And Jesus identifies with the church in this powerful way in Acts chapter 9. And he gives Paul, the apostle, this calling in that moment. He gives him this this calling to then go and be prayed for by a man named Ananias and, and preach the message of the gospel and turn it around and there's grace for you to do it. You're going to reach people far from God. You're going to reach Gentiles. You're going to reach people that don't know me. You're going to reach people and plant churches. And you're going to, you're going to give your life to something that's greater than what you're giving it to now. What a beautiful calling on, on Paul's life. And now Paul would say, well, I got a testimony which makes me an apostle. Not everybody has a testimony like that. Amen? Where, you know, one author, J. Vernon McGee, would say that Paul became the 12th disciple. In fact, Paul stepped into Judas's position in that moment where he had that calling. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the case there. There was another guy named Matthias who is also referenced in Matthew chapter 1. There's a few speculations on where that actually fits, but I would just say you can't argue that Paul was not an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a direct encounter that was different than everybody else. But it doesn't mean that doesn't come with haters, Amen. Paul still had the people that were questioning his calling, questioning his apostleship. So Paul, right out the gate of Galatians chapter 1, says, no, 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 I'm an apostle. I hate that I have to defend myself, but in this case, he starts there. He says, I'm a messenger. I'm a sent one on mission. Um, and my encounter with Christ is documented and, and real. So who is Paul? Well, well, he's an apostle who's called. Why does he have credibility? Come on, let's look at question one one more time. Question one. Uh, just so you know, where does Paul's credibility and authority come from? I, I wrote it, I wrote down my answer in a statement. All right, let me give it to you up on the screen. Here's my statement. You can take a screenshot. It might be a lot to write. Here's what he says: Paul's credibility and authority in his writing this letter do not come from his intellect. Amen. Do not come from his religious past. Can you get an amen. And do not come from others' affirmation or criticism. People really felt me on that one. (laughs) Paul's credibility and authority in writing this letter came from his calling to be an apostle by Christ. According to the grace, mercy, and will of God. That's why he's credible to write this letter and for us to read it and care about it 2,000 years later. Because he had a calling on his life by grace, by the will of God for him to be an apostle sent by God to do something great, to be filled with the Holy Spirit And to write a letter that we can benefit from here uh, today. I just want to put up Galatians 1, 1 and 2 one more time. If we can look at it back on the screen. Look at this intro. Because I really think the intro matters. Paul, an apostle, he says, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He wants wants all of us here at Walk Church to recognize if if this was Paul's choice, he wouldn't have done it. Paul was actually on his way to persecute the church in Damascus. It wasn't through men who came and said, oh yeah, you're an apostle, Paul. It wasn't through men who said, no, you're not an apostle, Paul. He said it was actually through Christ who stopped me, who knocked me down, and who called me by his grace. And so I want to just share really quick for you. But the most important opinion for your life is still God's. Amen. Amen. The most important word on your life is his. Listen, I'll even say for my own sake, as a pastor, as a leader, as a studier of God's word, I will always do my best and our team will always do our best to try our best to give you the best sound wisdom and insight from the word. But even sometimes we get it wrong. He never does. Amen? Amen. Somebody the other day told me, they said, hey, Pastor Hyden, what do you think I should do? And I was like, I think you should do whatever God tells you to do. (laughs) My my best honest answer as as I think through a situation, you know, if God tells you to do it, do it. I think you should get wise counsel. You should test it because, look, you're not smart enough. And your talents aren't good enough. And I love what the Apostle Paul says. He look, I did not get my apostleship from men. Yeah. That's what he's trying to get you to see. Because they're like, oh yeah, who said, Paul? Who said? Who said? Who makes you Apostle Paul? Because it wasn't, it wasn't anybody. It wasn't anybody at the church. Well, what man bestowed the calling on you? Who, it wasn't a man. It was the Lord. The, Paul said, if it was up to me, I would go do something else. It cost Paul a lot of persecution and a whole lot of, go read some of Paul's other letters. He goes, I spent a night and day in the sea. I was flogged with the whip and I spent a few days in jail. And, you know, and then after that, I got beat up. And Paul's like, I didn't, I didn't call myself to this. And Paul's like, I don't care about the Galatians. Paul was a very influential leader in Israel. He tells you about it. Studied under the Rabbi Gamaliel. He had degrees on degrees. He was a Hebrew. Hebrew Hebrews, very zealous. He goes, But the Lord called me. And I want to encourage you with that word today. Hey, be be confident in God's call on your life. (laughs) Whatever that is, whatever that is. Because there's going to be haters, there's going to be fakers. There's going to be people that are just mad because they don't have the calling that you have. There's going to be people that want to be where you want to be. There's going to be people that want to change what you're doing. And and friends, sometimes you just got to say, look, I I get it. I I hear you. But this wasn't my calling to begin with. This was God's calling on my life. Hey, why are you being so generous? God told me to do it. Hey, why why are you going to church? Because I love the Lord. Why are you worshiping the Lord all of a sudden? Why are you saying, No to sin? I, look, 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 it wasn't from man, it wasn't through man, it was through him. Amen. I'm following him, amen. amen? That's the best decision you could ever make, amen? And I just wanna encourage you from Paul's life through, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, let me give you question two. Question two. Everybody say number two. Number two. Number two. Yes. Number two. Where does Jesus' credibility and authority come from? Because if Paul says, Look, look, I, it didn't come through man. It didn't come through Amen. Well, where did it come from, the Apostle Paul? He said, my apostleship came from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Well, some haters in the background are going to say, well, what makes him credible? And that's a fair question to ask, especially for the Judaizers who not too long ago were persecuting and crucifying Christ. And they're curious about this situation. And the grace of God comes into contact with this idea. We have to work for it. We don't don't want it to be too easy. And praise God that the grace of God is easy. Amen. Amen. It's hard to remember it. It's so good when you grab it. Who who gave Jesus his credibility? Where does his authority come from? It's in the text. Are you ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. Here, let me show you the text. Here's what it says. Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Oh, you missed it. Because y'all just see dead people raising up all the time, huh? Listen, you know what gave Jesus credibility and authority? He died and came back to life and walked around and hung out with people and ate fish. I love that. He ate fish. He ate a lot of fish. That's what Jesus did, all right? He, he rose from the grave. I mean, he really did it like, and it wasn't just like, oh man, Jesus, you were passed out for like 20 minutes. We think you like died and came. No, no. Three days in a tomb, big old Roman soldier standing in front of it saying, I dare somebody to try to even come close. I dare you to come close. I'll kill you on the spot. If you come close to the grave, he is not coming out. People were trying. People were waiting. People were going to see, is he actually going to do it? Come on, do we need a head start for Easter? Ooh, it's coming. It's coming. I should have waited for Easter for this sermon. Who raised him from the dead. What gives Jesus the authority to, to even make Paul an apostle? It's because he conquered the grave. What else can't he do? Like, you can do a lot of things. Some of you are really, really smart. You could probably write books and make songs and bake really good food, and maybe you can shoot a basketball really good. Maybe you can design a company. You could probably do great things. You can't do that. There's only one person who himself said, Jesus was so dope. Can I say that? (laughs) Jesus was so dope. Jesus is walking in Jerusalem, walks by the big old man-made temple, and says, this temple, destroy it, in three days it'll rise back up. He was talking about himself. Yeah. Everybody's like, you can't, this temple can't be destroyed in three days. Jesus said, I'm, I'm the walking temple. Yeah. Yeah. You guys think it's in there? I'm out here. Yeah. I am the temple. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Jesus goes, I'm going to raise myself back from the dead. Yeah. By the power of God the Father. And if you really want to go deep, that same spirit that rose Jesus, yes. is that working us? Yeah. So you can conquer the grave too. You can conquer your own spiritual battle and walk in victory today. Mm. Who raised him from the dead. That's what gives Jesus all the authority. If you go back in history and look at all of the great leaders and emperors and presidents and et cetera, you name it. Everybody was flawed. Everybody was stained. But some people did good, good deeds. Nobody rose themselves up from the dead. No, no Alexander the Great, no Napoleon, no you name it, no, no John the Baptist. No, Like, people died and experienced eternity, some apart from God, some with God. Some in an eternal place called hell, some in an eternal place called heaven. By those who put their faith in the Messiah, whether you lived pre-Christ, you looked toward the Jesus that would come and raise himself. So for us who live post-Christ, we look back toward the Jesus who rose from the grave. That's where our authority comes from. Yeah. Through the risen Christ. That's what Paul says. Why does he include that? It's important. He doesn't just say through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Moving on, he says, who raised him from the dead. Because that is the sealer for his authority. Don't ever... Forget that you believe in a living God, a living resurrected Savior. I I have been to Israel. I spent quite a few days out there. Nina and I traveled to Jerusalem. We walked all around, and he is not in the grave. They're still digging and looking for him. It's been 2,000 years. He ain't there. He's not. He is risen. And and, and that alone, he's worthy to believe. He's worthy to worship. He's worthy to follow. This is what Paul is talking about. Let me give you question number three. Now, now what does God want for us? Based upon this introduction, what does this Jesus who rose from the grave, what does this God and King and, and what does the Holy Spirit want for you? I believe there's three things he wants for you in the text. Do you want them? You're like, maybe. Let's see. Let's go ahead and look at the scripture. Verse number three. He says, grace to you. Come on, say it with me. Grace Grace to you and? Peace. peace. I'll say it louder. Peace Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Here's the three things that that Jesus wants for you. He wants grace. It's It's the Greek word charis. That's undeserved favor. He wants peace. That's shalom. That's unexplainable rest. Somebody just took a breath. Come on, just take, ah, that feels good. It's deliverance. It's unconditional freedom. What does god want for us he wants you to experience his grace what is grace it's undeserved favor sometimes we think man i don't deserve his grace you are so right and that's the definition of grace grace is not something you deserve in fact if you got what you deserved you would be in hell right now if you got what you deserved From the moment you sinned, you would be outcast from his presence like our great ancestors, Adam and Eve. If we got what we deserved, God might make it start raining, and it wouldn't stop. It would be terrifying. But what is the grace of God? Well, the grace of God is a person named Jesus who steps down from heaven on a rescue mission for us. And his grace remains His grace outlasts. That's why we oftentimes say there's grace in this place. There's grace for you. There's grace for me. There's grace for the broken. Oh, please don't be a graceless Christian. Be a graceful Christian. Amen? Amen. Because God has shown you much grace, hasn't he? Oh, I love this quote on the word grace. Max Lucado says it like this. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. I, 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 re- I revisit this quote often. Grace is the voice that says, you got to make a change. And, and here's everything you need to do it. Grace says, hey, you got to, you, you got to, you, you know, you got to pay for that. Here's the money to pay for it. I don't got it, Lord. I know I already put it in your pocket. I already took care of that. Hey, you got to, you got to pay the toll. It's actually paid. Thing goes up, right? The the grace of God says the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to do it. Somebody said, wow, that's the right response. The right response is a wow that God would give us his grace. I love how the great preacher D.L. Moody once described God's grace. He says, "The, the law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. Come on, amen? Somebody? The law will tell you, man, you missed it here, you missed it there. You all types are bent out of shape. Grace comes and says, let me straighten you out. Jesus Christ lived the law perfectly in our place. So when we align with him, we are aligned with grace. And the measuring stick that God the Father is looking for today is found in the perfect life, death, resurrection, ascension and blood of Jesus Christ. And so you can, you can walk in grace, believe in grace, move in grace and give grace to, to, to whom much has been given. Much is required. Come on, anybody just, if you, you don't have to do it, but if you would, just join. Would you just put your hand up if you've received grace? Oh, man, we should be the most grace-giving church in the city. People need to be reminded of grace. But too often, right, the church is not known for being grace-giving. We end up being closer to the Judaizers and say, hey, you better, yep. I saw that. Better work harder. Better do better. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Come on. Paul says don't go backwards. Jesus plus nothing equals enough. And if you continue to preach that message to your heart, I think sometimes we're, we're scared that we're going to just get so drunk on grace we're not going to want to follow Jesus anymore. I don't think that's how it works. I think we get so blessed and consumed by grace, we want to follow Jesus more. Because if I did the show of hands as well for who's deeply sinful in here, hopefully everybody would raise their hand as well. In other words, you're cashing in on God's grace daily, moment by moment at times. Dang, I did it again. God, I I wasn't supposed to do that again. I know I came into the altar last week. I shouldn't have done that. I yelled. I I cheated. I, I watched something. I said something. I thoughts. oh, my thoughts. Who, who will deliver me from this body of sin? That's what Paul said. Yeah. But the grace you, is full of grace. Yeah. So, wh- Amen. Come on. So why does Paul in Galatians 1 verse 3 start off now saying, okay, Galatians, here's what I want to tell you. First off, I'm an apostle. It wasn't my choice. Don't be mad at me. It was was from Jesus Christ, and and the authority of Jesus is because of his resurrection. Now, here's what I want you to have, grace. Grace to you. Let's look at the verse one more time. Galatians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 1 and 2 still. The text says that grace to you and, and peace from God. I love it right here. First thing that God wants for you is to experience his grace. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. Today, receive it, brother, sister. Today, if you are deeply sinful, if you came in here super dirty, you were in the right place. Come in this place dirty and take a shower in his grace. That is good news for everybody in here. It's good news for the, for the Christian and it's good news for the non-Christian where you can today, you can come under his grace. You can. But not only that, he also wants you to have peace. God wants you to have Shalom. He wants you to have his peace. Let's look at these one more time. Peace is it's this unexplainable rest. That's how I defined it, right? If grace is undeserved favor, this charis, you, you can't deserve it. God showed you favor when you, you shouldn't have. He also shows us peace, shalom. What's so neat is the Old Testament greeting, if you saw somebody, was shalom peace to you. The New Testament greeting was grace to you. Charis. And Paul says, I'm gonna give you both. Paul says, I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm draw from both. I think that's the reason why most of Paul's letters, he opens it up by saying grace and peace, and he ends the letters by saying and grace and peace. He doesn't want us to forget. Peace, shalom, is unexplainable rest that you find He shows up and gives. I love this quote by the great hymnal writer Thomas Watson says, If if God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there's a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. Such a good word. Amen. (laughs) That you could be in a storm. You could be in trouble. I was talking to a brother just yesterday at our worship workshop, and he said, you know, I got let go from my job. And I said, man, I didn't know that. I'm sorry that that happened. He goes, the weirdest thing happened. I got let go, and I felt unexplainable peace. I I can't fully explain why, because it was not something I needed or was looking to. Um, In fact, it caught me by surprise, and it was very frustrating. And a lot of people were like, dude, what happened? He goes, I don't know, but I feel peace. That's something that only God can give. I can't really explain it, but I know he can give it. You know, we've been praying a lot for people that are dealing with sickness, dealing with cancer, dealing with family members that are ill, dealing with all types of struggle and brokenness. And I find myself lately praying for peace. I think that can kind of feel cliche-ish, but... Man, there's nothing like peace, amen? There's nothing like unexplainable rest where you're in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm. I love the message we heard last week from Pastor David Butler where he talked about how even Abraham in picking up the the dagger and his son right there on the altar, that there was no wrestling. Why? Because they learned to trust God and they knew that God would be faithful to his word even if everything else didn't look like it. That God is the God who gives us peace within peace, in our trouble, He can do that for you today. If you came in here, all if you came in here like the Tasmanian devil, <laughs> just just came up in here spinning and moving and bumping into people, and finally got a seat. Come on, God can give you peace. Amen. He can give you unexplainable shalom. Now I believe that sin. Will be the thing that interrupts your peace. I've never given into sin, and there's all types of different types of sin, but I've never given into a sin that added to my peace, but always took away from it. So I wanna encourage you today, as you hear me talk about grace and as you hear me talk about peace, don't be a Judaizer, he didn't talk about sin enough. Come on, watch out. Watch out for that spirit. Listen, the whole gospel. Is, is, is evident and is necessary because of our sin. Remember, the main idea of the book is Jesus came to set sinners free. I'm just more passionate about the freedom than the sin. Like I don't want to stay bogged down in my sin so long that I'd never leave the cage. I want to walk out in freedom, and I want to leave it behind. Make war with your sin. Repent from your sin. But, but what's ahead of you is better than what's behind you. And there's grace that leads you there. There's peace that leads you there. Sin separates you from God. Sin sin distorts your your peace. It, It throws you off. You missed Mark. So don't give in to sin. Make war with sin. Be busy killing sin or it'll be busy killing you. That's John Owen, right? We should be making war with our sin. Why? Because sin separates us and it messes up our peace. It takes away our joy. So on one hand, yes, we, we, need to be, we need to be putting in the work uh, uh, to destroy sin, but not so we can add to the gospel. Jesus plus nothing, that's already enough. And Christ is really the one that's at work in us, helping us make war with our sin, conforming us into his image. I love this, 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 this um, scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. It's one of my favorite 3.16 verses. Come on, read it Read it with me. Read it with me. Ready, set, go. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, every way. The Lord be with you all. What a great conclusion to the Thessalonian letter. God has a lot of names. One of his best names, the Lord of peace. Ooh. And sometimes you just got to pray the names of God, don't you? Someone cuts you off on the highway and just call on the Lord of peace. Lord of peace, would you give me peace? Oh, at all times, I need that peace all the, all the time. All the time. Let me move into the last thing that God wants for you. We're, we're just about done. The last thing that God wants for you is, we'll put it up on the screen. He, he wants you to experience deliverance. What's deliverance? Unconditional freedom. Deliverance is the freedom that Jesus can only give. Let me give you the definition for deliver. The word deliver by definition means to bring and hand over to the proper recipient or address. Come on, some of y'all Amazon shoppers know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Waiting for your package to get delivered. The worst thing that could happen is it could go to the wrong address, right? Uh, To bring and hand over to the proper recipient or address. What does the word deliver mean? Webster's will tell you it means to set free. Well, let me just put these verses up on the screen. I just want you to see them one more time. We're getting ready to close. Du- Walk church, listen, listen to me. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself. When was the last time you parked there? Who gave himself for my sins. Who gave himself for our sins. When was the last time you just, I I can't move on yet. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This is the God we believe in. Grace to you and peace, Galatians, dear Galatians. Paul writing to you here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? Well, He gave himself. Oh, man, you got to make this gospel personal. Who gave himself for my sins. Thank you for that. Why? Because I needed to be delivered. To deliver us from the present evil age. I love that language because that means that this is applicable for today. We could get in the wrong mindset and think, yeah, that that was deliverance for them back then. No, it's present. What do you need to be delivered from today? He can do it. He can do it. We believe in a God who delivers. In other words, come on, can we put the definition back up on the screen one more time? The definition for deliver, to bring and hand over to the proper recipient or address. What happens when you believe in Jesus? What happens when you receive grace? What happens when you call upon the blood? What happens is you get delivered from the domain of darkness and you get dropped in front of heaven's door. You get dropped in front of Jesus. You get You get handed over not to the the guard with the with the chains. That's what sin does. You, you get delivered to Him who sets you free. Oh, I don't want to reject that. I want to receive all of that. That's what it means to be set free. I was thinking of what would a tagline be for our study through Galatians and the two words that came to me is for freedom. It's for freedom. Paul was trying to get the Galatians to believe they were actually free it's for freedom that Christ has set you set you free he's given you peace he's given you a fresh start to deliver you from the sins of the evil of this present age God can deliver I'm so grateful for that fourth and final question I just need 30 seconds to give you the answer. Fourth and final question. How should we respond? Here's the the text. Here's how the greeting ends. The greeting says this, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. How should we respond? Well, we should give him the glory. Amen. We should give God glory for how he's moved in our lives. We should glorify the son. We should glorify the savior. We should sing of his greatness we should respond with repentance and faith and go to jesus not so we could add something but because he added everything enough jesus plus nothing is enough so as we as we respond with giving him the glory i'm just going to grab one of these uh, little communion packets you've heard about the grace of jesus you've heard about the blood of Jesus. You've heard about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, as we respond right now, we have communion tables on the left side and the right side, on the back, left and right. And I just want to encourage every believer in Jesus in the room today as we respond to grab one of these communion packets as we begin to sing. And when you're ready, just begin to recall on how the Lord has delivered you on how the Lord has set you free, and if you still need some some deliverance and some freedom in certain areas, I do. I still need some areas. That he's still working on me, Lord. Lord, free me in this area now. You freed the last one. Let's go. Help me to help me to walk it out. Not because I need to earn it, but because there's more freedom in it. I want to walk in all freedom. Um, and when you're ready. I want you to open up this communion packet and partake and see Jesus. See, see him on the cross shedding his blood for your sins. See him on the tree. See the gospel through this packet and respond with repentance and faith. Father, as we pray now, I just believe somebody in the room needed this message. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you right now to pray a prayer of faith just right now you can say, Lord, I believe. I turn away from my sins. And now with faith, I turn to Christ. I love you, Lord. I believe in you. Thank you for dying for me and rising for me. Up from the grave, he rose again. I turn away from my sins and I put my full faith and trust in